The Start On Demand. On demand. Today is Greg's B-Day, and it's my V-Day. Greg turns 50 today. Happy birthday, Mackling. We brought in a San Diego surprise for Mackling's birthday, and today is the day I am going to see Dr. Snips. That's right, I'm getting a vasectomy, and you'll hear from a doctor performing the procedure on me. Also, is immigration a threat to white Canadians? Four in ten Canadians say it is. So we'll get some data on whether or not immigration is actually good for this country. And Winnipeg opens its time capsule from 1965. What would you put in a time capsule? I'm Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, May 22nd podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. McNabb is back today. Welcome back, Loren. Thank you. A little under the weather. You're more dedicated than Cher. No, Whoa. I'm not. I called in sick yesterday, and so did she. Yeah, that's a rough one. Yeah. I mean, I think there are a lot of people who are a little disappointed that they were kept at bay at Bell MTS place last night, but I just think it goes to show that Cher was likely doing everything she possibly could, leaving it to the last possible minute to see if she could perhaps sure. put on her performance last night for it's the like about 10,000 fans that were there. You're not feeling well and you think, you know what, I'll wait until morning in hopes that it gets better or I'll wait the next 15 minutes. If I can make it through the next 15 minutes without A, B or C, yeah. then I can make it through the day and then right. A, B or C happens. You can fill in the blanks and you don't, right? So I feel for her. You guys I, have, I feel for those fans. But You ever been to a show where it got canceled no. last second? I don't think so. I've been to dozens and dozens of concerts. I can't remember of that ever happening before, showing up at the venue and then the band or the performer canceling. So that's a tough one uh, if you had tickets for it last night, no question. Especially if you're out of town. Like if you're someone who came in from out of town or it'd be one thing to say, okay, you can reschedule. I still live here. I can make the concert, but lots of people come from all over to Winnipeg to see special events. Well, at 637, we're going to talk to Kirby from Power 97, Power Mornings with Philly Joe and Kirby. Her dad came in from Alberta to see the show. I mean, he... He came to see his daughter, sure. of course, but the concert the was the impetus for his visit. So they, <laughs> the whole point of that trip was to see the show, and then uh, they ended up leaving disappointed. So we'll hear from her at 6.37. The closest I've ever come to that kind of a situation, and I've told this before, <clears throat> I don't know, 15, maybe even close to 20 years ago, I was at the old barn, the Winnipeg Arena, for a WW, I guess at the time it would have been WWF, House show, as they call it, a non-televised wrestling show. And The Rock was scheduled to headline the event. He was to take on the big boss man. And uh, I believe it was Howard Finkel who came out and said The Rock was not coming in because there was a terrorist threat at Miami's airport, which was met with a chorus of boos because we thought, oh, come on, that's a lame excuse. But it was to set up... Chris Jericho's first ever match in the WWF. He had already been on TV, but he hadn't wrestled yet, so they gave him the opportunity to have his first match in the WWF in his hometown, and he took on the big boss man in a nightstick on a pole match. <laughs> of course, my favorite type of match. <laughs> what nice, does sorry, that mean exactly? They often would, yeah, they, so they, there was a nightstick at the top of a pole. and the, the, you What's had a nightstick? It, it's, uh, it's like a... Like billy a, club. Yeah, billy club. Like, like a, a cops used to wear. 
Or yeah. maybe they still do. A baton. They would often use put props on the top of a pole, and you had to get to the prop <laughs> to then beat up your opponent and okay. win the match. So it was just it was a gimmicky match, but it was cool. So even though The Rock wasn't there, and The Rock was my favorite, it was neat to see Jericho. Did Jericho get the uh, baton? He did get the baton. And he laid the baton, the big boss uh, man. That, okay, that was worth it. <laughs> yeah, see, there's a setup. There's a setup, McNabb. you got to be patient. Also, Greg Mackling, I know yes, you're not but, thrilled about it today, and we posted a picture on our Instagram story to show just how you feel about it today, but uh, <laughs> happy birthday. Thank you, Brett. The big... Five oh yes, the big five oh. Another I, decade. I'd have now lived in seven separate decade decades: sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, the zeros, and the now teens. the teens. Oh, it's only six. Thank God. Uh, so, what? Are you really not happy about this? Like, no, I'm fine. You're okay with it? No, I actually. You know how they say forty or fifty? Forty is new thirty, and fifty is new forty. Yeah. I actually, I feel better at fifty than I did at forty. And so. denial, as the birthday card about you said, denial is the new math. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, here I thought Brett was setting me up, pumping me up, making me feel better, and then of course he had to crush it. I actually said to him, coming around the corner this morning, are we acknowledging Greg's birthday because he seems in a bad mood? <laughs> and I, part of me likes to poke the bear, well, don't get me wrong. There's a 2-6 of Crown Royal sitting on my desk, so you tell me how thrilled I am about it. And it's about to get, no, it's not going to get cracked, yeah. but... Well, I Thank was, curi- you, Brett, I was curious if you were going to crack it and put it in your Slurpee that I brought you. So. Yeah, the great Slurpee <laughs> flying high on this. What is it? Is it? Is it Wednesday already? It is Wednesday. Nice. And See, the so, long weekend, yeah. serving us well, cutting our work week. There was going to be another cut being made today. Uh-oh. Oh, <laughs> Dr. Snips. Dr. Snips. This is a big day. Greg is gaining another year and mm. Brett's losing. I don't know. Is it a, it's not a piece of your body. It's a tie. I don't does, know does how it, it works. Stitched? We're going to find out, actually, at 7.45. Dr. Billenkoff. Hold and on. Then, Wait a minute. A live vasectomy is happening on you're the having, start. You're having surgery in four and a half hours, and did you just say, I don't know how it works? Yeah, pretty much. I don't know exactly <laughs> what they're doing. You're a trusting fellow. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, that's why you go to the professional. We're going to ask him at 7.45. Dr. Billenkoff is going to join us live on 680 CJOB. Many of our listeners, as we've mentioned this in the past weeks, have said, oh, yeah, I went to Billenkoff. You'll be good to go. But we're going to find out at 7.45. I basically want to know, am I going to be able to golf this weekend? Th- that's your biggest concern? That's my biggest concern. Yeah. Okay. Because I've been told, don't. Just take it easy, at least the first day, because I know people who have gone through it and they try it. Apparently, lifting things is the big no-no. Oh, you were going, I went somewhere else, you said, and they try, and I was like, try what? <laughs> Don't be trying that on day one. I think, uh, give yeah. it a break for yeah. a day or two. <laughs> try it later, maybe Friday. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> how long do you have to take a break from that other stuff? We'll ask the doctor as well. All right. Yeah. All right. How long before... Uh, you test it out. Yes. That's right. See if... <laughs> try it. How long before you work. try it? <laughs> uh, okay, what's in this Should this, this time- be in a podcast? I, or should we put it in a time capsule? Uh, let's put it in a time capsule for now. Let's solder it shut. Oh, so a uh, time capsule was opened at City Hall yesterday. How many years were the items in there for from the 60s? 1965. 1965. Yes. So 54 years? Is that so? Why open now? I don't know. Okay. Well, 
They, I, don't know why they they, I don't know why they opened it now. I'm starting to wonder if we They're need gonna to They're going to bulldoze that building, right, at some point? The so public I guess, safety building? Yeah, no. so they had to take it out. Why they decided to do it yesterday, I don't know. Is it not okay to say that in this day and age? That I don't know? No, I just was curious, like, what the reasons... I, I, I'm starting to wonder, every time they pull out a time capsule and they unearth what was put in it, like, 50, 60, 70 years ago, I feel like everyone's just, like, standing outside going, boo! Like... <laughs> What did you put in there? And so we're going to talk about what they pulled out of there at 645. But also, if you were to put a time capsule, what would you, what would be the thing that you would throw in there? I think that's a good that's a good question. I've gone looking this morning and like there's whole websites on the top 10 most disappointing time capsules. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, like, and Al Capone's vault? Just like Is that why, up there? Yeah, like, you know, the things that people throw in and people get so excited for them and they bring them out to schools and the school kids are like so... A what penny is that? from 1965? <laughs> like, thanks. The headline at CJOB.com, Long Weekend Madness for Winnipeg Police. Yeah, and I think we can all admit, and the police will say this, that they know when you sign up to be a police officer, you are well aware that you are going to encounter threats or even assault. And Constable Rob Carver, we played some of his audio earlier in the show, and he said, yes, that's not unusual. But what happened this weekend over the May long weekend was unusual, and that's because they had seven separate incidents between Friday and Monday where officers were assaulted, choking, headbutt, spitting, and then while as one suspect threatening an officer with a machete. So eight incidents of either assault or a threat against a Winnipeg police officer. We wanted to find out a bit more from the Winnipeg Police Association, the union representing our officers in Winnipeg. And so we're joined now by its president, Mo Sabarin. Good morning, Mo. Good morning. Thank you for having me on once again. Well, what are we hearing in terms of not just anecdotally, but do we have numbers showing whether or not officers are feeling like threats or assaults against them, their person is on the rise? Oh, absolutely. And, and not only while they're on duty, the, uh, the incident with the machete was an off-duty member leaving the workplace. Uh, as you know, we've had uh, problems with that in the past, but uh, he intervened with um, a member, or sorry, not a member, a citizen was being assaulted, intervened, and that's when uh, the two individuals turned on him with a broken bottle and a machete. So again, not having any of his equipment and, you know, doing what we do, we're wired a little bit different. Uh, a lot of people would probably run away from that situation, but our member went towards it to, to help a citizen. And also identified himself as a police officer. And that's what makes me concerned and has my mind racing is the fact that individuals who are prepared to go toe-to-toe with a police officer, whether in uniform mole or someone who's identified themselves as a police officer, uh, there has to be a greater concern for what they are capable of. Yeah, absolutely. It's very, very troubling in our mind. The numbers uh, are drastically increasing for uh, assaults against the members. But uh, you can imagine if uh, somebody who's not a police officer that doesn't have training, doesn't have the tools with them to be able to deal with those type of of violent encounters, uh, how that would end up for somebody. Do you have those numbers handy, Mo? I might be putting you on the spot, but if you don't, you can get them to us later. But in terms of you mentioned it being on the rise, what might the difference be year over year over the last five years? Um, I don't have the numbers uh, at the moment, but uh, we do keep them. I'm sorry, I'm not in the office at the moment. Um, But uh, we're very concerned that those numbers are on the rise. And the the service is very quick to point out that it's a meth epidemic. And while I don't disagree 
Um, what uh, I would suggest is that uh, we don't have the resources to deal with the epidemic. When you're in line at um, at uh, the local food mart or whichever, when the lines are getting longer, you don't respond by closing lanes. And that's exactly what's happened. We're down probably about 125 officers in the last uh, five years as a result of uh, the mayor's inadequate budget to deal with the situations. I would say this is the first really we've heard. Uh, Loren, I'm looking at you right now. Uh, I don't know if I've heard anyone suggests that we're down um, members here. Uh, why is that? Is is that through attrition? Is there a hiring freeze in place? Mo, share more with us. It's a combination. Um, as members are retiring, they're not hiring as quickly as they could. Um, so once again, you don't respond when you have a, an epidemic by by having less members out on the street to deal with it. Our drug enforcement unit, which you would think would be bolstered, um, has maybe two handfuls of people in it for a city of 750,000 people. And the statistics on the meth-related incidents is, uh, and I can't say for sure, but I would say they're doubled easily in the last two years. You mentioned the police budget. The police budget was also increased year over year. And the Mm -hmm. Chief Danny Smythe has gone on record as saying, we don't need more officers. So you're speaking to a situation where just replacement hasn't occurred as rapidly as you would like to see it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And and keep in mind that the chief is a completely political uh, figure. And what else is he going to say when the mayor tells him that uh, we believe we're providing you with the appropriate resources? But in the last 10 years, our calls for service alone have increased by 40 percent. And I'm sure uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me. And yes, it is true that the police budget has increased uh, on a regular basis. However, I'm going to suggest that those resources aren't adequate to deal with the calls, uh, the volume, the volume of calls, as well as the increasing um, incidents that are occurring as a result of meth, the break and enters, the property crimes. Um, and when you don't have resources to target individuals that are creating these problems and they're on the street longer, that's when you you see the, the number of incidents continue to rise, where if you can uh, apprehend people early on, they don't have the opportunity to continue their crime spree. And because of the budget that has been put down by the mayor and city council, the chief has had to try and reorganize. We have a super major crime unit, which is doing the citizens of Winnipeg a disservice when break and enters and uh, home invasions are a low priority call. And it takes months for the investigators to get to investigating those, uh, those incidents. Well, I always comment that the one time that you think you might see a police officer, uh, if you're lucky, is if your home has been broken into, and I lived that as a younger person, uh, police were there almost immediately within a phone call uh, of reporting such an event. Now you're lucky if they come at all. Um, that's uh, that's correct. And I, in one particular, and I'll call this a worst-case scenario, 20 days for our members to be able to be freed up to get to a break and enter where the house has been ransacked. It's been invaded. And now um, we have over the phone had to tell the citizens, please, uh, you know, try and preserve any evidence, fingerprints, put things aside. 
Um, you know, so you can imagine the, the, the psychological trauma that, that is created by somebody coming into your home and taking your, your items. Mo Sabrin, president of the Winnipeg Police Association, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mo, thank you very much for the time. Much appreciated. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. God, I love this song. Would have been nice to see it live, at least for the congregation at Bell MTS Place last night, but they were left disappointed. Do you think she sings it live? Yeah. I've, yeah. Seen, I've seen videos of her Like, of her I've seen her in concert, and I'm still not I th- sure. I think she has a backing track. That's pretty common. Sure. But uh, I've watched recent videos of her performing, and uh, still very elaborate show. The costumes are insane, as one would expect from Cher. I mean, that's part of the... But what kind of disappointment would it be if she just came out in like a jumpsuit and, <laughs> and wore that the whole time? Which right? would be part of the conversation if she if if she wasn't feeling well. It's not just about your voice being strong or being able to stand on stage for two hours. Like she she, she's performing. It's a different right. kind of show. Yeah. So if she had any sort of say stomach bug or whatever, just the, the little breaks she'd need to whatever would be gone if she had to do costume changes right so i yeah i would be i I can't imagine what it'd be feeling like to be in that crowd though and have an hour later them tell you go home you're here for the wrong reason would have been i suspect it would have been super i mean there are lots of implications to canceling a show yeah that large right when you think about the gate involved and the number of tickets number of people but you'd have to think logistically speaking would have been much easier for her to cancel that show yesterday afternoon. Oh, yeah, for sure. To wait. For so many people involved. For her crew, they could have started taking down the stage. Costs for the MTS people. And could have gone yep. on their way, right? there. I'm sure there's a whole myriad of reasons for them to cancel that show midday yesterday versus waiting as long as they did. Yeah, so one of those in attendance was one of our colleagues down the hall at Power 97, Winnipeg's best rock, Kirby from Power Mornings with Philly Joe and Kirby. Kirby, who did you go to the show with? My dad actually flew in from Alberta for the show last night, and he is what I like to say Cher's number one fan. Why is that? I've seen her with my dad like four or five times now. Oh my god! So this was just another, you know, you know, notch in the belt, I guess, in terms of seeing her in 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 a live concert. Was this the reason he came? To see you in Winnipeg? Yes, yes. So last night was a little bit disappointing in terms of, you know, going to see an artist that you're excited for and you've, you know, flown to see her and you've paid money and and you've gotten all done up for the concert and you get there and you're turned away because it's canceled. You found out ahead of time she was supposed to come on at 845. Yeah, usually um, they'll release like the the set times as to when the the opening act's going to come on stage when the intermission will be, uh, and then when the main artist is taking the stage. And she was set to perform at 8.45, according to that. Um, and we waited, and we waited, um, and the opening act had already come on and, and left. That and was sheet. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I think it was about 9.50 when a guy holding a piece of paper walked across the stage. And I just knew immediately that he was about to, you know, make a lot of people disappointed. And he announced that Cher was under under the weather and not feeling well and that the concert would be canceled for the evening. What was the reaction? 
you just a sigh, like across the entire Bell MTS place. People were just like, oh, like all at once. It was a collective, you know. No booze? Um, I think there was a few bu- uh, boos in the in the crowd. There was certainly people upset, you know, once we got out into the main area, uh, the concourse area, and you could just hear people complaining about their evening being ruined, the amount of money they've spent, uh, getting to the concert, um, hotels, babysitters, God knows what, right? So when the show gets rescheduled, is your dad going to come back? <laughs> Well, I think at this point, uh, it will be up to when they can fit in a rescheduled date. Um, Just looking at her tour, she has a big break between now and uh, the next leg of her tour once she's done her North American leg. I think she, she doesn't go back until September, so she might be able to fit... A Winnipeg Dayton, hopefully sometime this summer, but uh, we'll see. I guess you know that's the thing is one of these when these things get canceled, it's hard to you know tell if you can have the same person fly back out for that concert. Share seventy three, right? And good for her for still going, and not to to imply that because she's seventy three. She can't do anything. But when you go to a show when someone's 73 years old, is that there's something in the back of your mind thinking, well, there's a 50-50 chance that she's not coming out? I mean, you got to think about that. She's been performing for how long, right? Like, I mean, Cher is one of these performers that's been around for years. And uh, I think a lot of people speculated last night that she was a little maybe under the weather due to the fact that her birthday was on Monday. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, a hangover at 73 is a little harder to handle than, uh, you know, a hangover at a much younger age. So so do you believe that she's going to come back? <laughs> well, if I could turn back time. Just kidding. I'm not going to go there. Um, but uh, I don't think she was hungover. I think that she genuinely, according to what I'm hearing, was in not feeling good. Because she made us wait. I think she genuinely tried to get it together to come out and perform last night. But I think at the last minute, there was just a call that she had to make herself and say, I, I genuinely can't go out there and do this. Right. So Kirby from Power Mornings with Philly Joe and Kirby on Winnipeg's Best Rock Power 97. And indeed, Cher's tour schedule has her in Saskatoon tomorrow, Edmonton Saturday, Calgary Tuesday, Vancouver next Thursday. And then there's a break. She's back at it with six shows in Las Vegas starting in late August. So who knows? Maybe a rescheduled visit for some time over the summer here in Winnipeg. That would be nice uh, for those who, I mean, we gave away tickets sure. last week. Do you get, so does it work? And I, I'm putting you on the spot here. So if you keep the ticket, you're supposed to keep your ticket, right? Yep. Keep your email verifying. What if you can't make that next date? Do you get a refund on that yes. ticket? Yes. Okay. Absolutely you would. Okay. Yeah. And I think that uh, looking at Bell MTS plays, I think they may have, Put on their Facebook page like we they rescheduled it until 2021, but I would imagine they're not going to hold it. I think they just need to get a rescheduled date out in within 48 hours, otherwise they have to refund the all tickets. the tickets. Right? Yeah. So hopefully it won't be until 2021. Um, are you going to try to go though? That's the question, McNabb, because you couldn't go last night. So now that she's coming back, well, it's funny that you say that because I lamented last week that I didn't have tickets, and then. Uh, now that you asked me if I would rebook on the next one, I think my answer is no, but I don't know why that is. <laughs> and then you're going to be sad right. the next I time when I she have comes. No, I have no reason for that. I don't be sad know. twice. I'll be sad twice, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm like, eh, nah, I probably won't go. But I did every day last week think, oh, this would be a good concert, but no. Well, I went out on a limb, uh, Slash and Miles Kennedy mm-hmm. and the Conspirators coming July 23rd, which I think is a, a Tuesday night. 
I've already said I'm going to that show no matter what. And then Def Leppard's here on the, I think it's the Thursday, the 25th. Okay. Could be a long week. They're both that week? Yeah, 20, 23rd and, and 25th. are you going to that? I don't know. I think I think I'm just gonna bite the bullet. Uh, honestly, that's why I um, not what, but one of the reasons why I had done the Justin Timberlake concert in February and it was a Monday night and it was just too hard. Like the whole week was just really hard to get through staying up that late. And so a, ah. Tuesday, a Tuesday share. If she been a Thursday, if it's a Thursday, like you know, I yeah, can power, you can power I can through power one through day. A, a late night, early Friday morning. That's not a big deal. But the whole week really is at a. So I was thinking about Kirby. She starts the day the same as we do early in the morning. So she stayed up late to just just disappointment. Yeah, so it's, uh, let us know, 204-780-6868, were you there, or did, was someone you know at the show, and what was the reaction, because some people are genuinely angry about it, and others are trying to have a more tempered approach, saying, look, if she waited an hour, clearly she wanted to come out, uh, right, yeah. and had to had to pull the plug, so... I know that if I was, if who knows, we we don't know what was what was affecting her. But if it was indeed a stomach thing, and I've had when you get an upset stomach, you, you're pretty much whatever you're trying to do is done. Do you and you, what and Dave, you know they don't last long, so you're like, okay, well maybe this will be the last sure. time, and then I'll be good be okay. to go. Yeah. Do you remember when Dave Grohl fell off the stage in, in Sweden about four years mm-hmm. ago? Yep. He laid on his back, finished the song. They had to carry him carry him off on a stretcher. He wanted to come back and finish the show after getting a cast on his leg. Really? And then they built him a throne and he actually did an entire he did an entire tour where he sat in this giant throne on stage because his leg was broken. Wow. He didn't want to cancel the the entire tour. And didn't Axel Rose when Axel he performed Ro- with ACDC? You got it, borrowed that uh said throne. Oh yeah, yes. right on. Ackling McGarry and McNabb just had a conversation about Cher, known for her song, If I Could Turn Back Time. Well, how about if you could turn back time to 1965? The time capsule. Now open. Yeah, so this was the 53-year-old time capsule. I don't know why at 53, um, what, I guess the public safety building is going to be demolished, demolished, sorry, and this time capsule dismolished. Dismantled, demolished? That's how they said it in 1965. Yeah. They said dismolished. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they reopened this time capsule that was buried at that building in that year, and they pulled from it like lists of staff members, photos, buttons. I it, think it's like, almost like Al Capone's vault boring levels of what they pulled out of that thing. There was absolutely Zippo in Al Capone's <laughs> vault. What was it, Geraldo Rivera? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That took us on that journey. Was it like a seventeen-hour live television special? And they opened it. It and was, there was like, absolutely like waiting for LeBron it. to announce where he's going, <laughs> and, and with with absolutely zero payoff in the end. Do you guys want to hear what they what they said yes. from the city? Uh, Jody Battleson, uh, City of Winnipeg. Here, do you want to? Press that. Bradley, oh, there it is. It. Okay, here we go. The time capsule was placed behind the cornerstone, which is engraved with the date of the building, um, into a small little recess that they, they carve in there. Uh, and that was done on November the 30th, 1965. Each of the departments uh, that were first uh, to be housed in the public building were invited to contribute contents to be contained within this cornerstone casket. They put in items like photographs, uh, personnel lists, badges, and buttons. PSB building was officially opened on May the 18th in 1966. So it was officially opened this week in 1966, and it is going to be demolished soon, so that might be the 
timeline of why they opened it now. I want to say I do love old photographs. Like I like going to the archives and looking at all those things and going through old yearbooks and all the rest. And I do think probably in 1965 they may they may have never imagined a system to to which we would have access to so many of these things. Oh, for sure. Or, or that you'd be able to look on online for lists of staff members and stuff like that from 1965. But now as we go forward, I wonder what that makes me think, okay, well what would I put in a time capsule besides a photo of myself? <laughs> framed, framed photo, framed photo, of course. signed. signed. You know, in case anybody signed. wants it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I love the fact that uh, the Winnipeg Realtors MLS listings show the average house was selling for thirteen thousand five hundred eighty-eight dollars in 2019. Mm. That average is three hundred thirty-one thousand. Mm. Thirteen thousand bucks. Uh, that would be nice to, to, I don't know, be able to build a garage for that. What about you, uh, Bron? What would you put in a time capsule? Or have you ever been down this road? you ever done yeah, this? Yeah, when we were in middle school, I don't know, grade four or five or something like that, we did one at school and buried it in the, I think we just buried it in the schoolyard. Uh, I can't for the life of me remember what I put in it. Yeah, I remember so, we did it. Same, same with my school. Mm-hmm. Uh, they built a new section onto, I went to Maple Leaf School on McIver Avenue, and they built a new section on there, and behind where they built it says 2000, and I believe all of our pictures are in there. Neat. So, yeah. Cam Portress, what would you put in a time capsule? I have absolutely no idea. Like <laughs> A lock about, of your beard? Like I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cam beard? Well, it's like you got to have something like, it's in there cool, and I, I don't, you know, I guess this is kind of cool from 1965, but it's... You know, like buttons and stuff like that. I don't know what you'd put in there, like something that you'd – some sort of message that you'd want to tell the people 50 years from now or some some sort of – like some sort of info or something interesting or a mindset or perspective. I don't know. I, I find that cooler than, you know, a list of staff members. Almost like what like, – even if you wrote a letter about who you were and what you were hoped yeah. for because if you've ever stumbled across things like an old diary from when you were a kid, like it's hilarious. You're like, what was I thinking <laughs> yes. in this year? Like this yeah. is funny. And that <laughs> yeah. would be at least – like thought-provoking on what a ten-year-old might have been thinking in 1965. Just put, put your phone in there. I was has, just thinking has technology. All of your information on your phone has all your pictures. So, boom. But don't put the password up? in. Are you giving that up? I'll get a new phone. <laughs> How is it, it going to work? Yeah, like the 50 battery years will die later? over fifty years. Well, leave a charger I know. in there. Well, you leave a charger in there. A charger. <laughs> Well, uh, when I went to River Heights School in Brandon, it was the first underground school in Canada. They actually built it into the ground, and that opened in 1978. And so we were the first class, and we actually put together one of these time capsules. And one of the considerations that we had was if you leave in a recording or something, will the people of the future that open this have the technology to play it back? That was one of the questions that we were answering and and batting around because I think we've designated or they designated that to be open in 150 years or something like that. Mm. Something very long term. So the whole contemplation about what you put in also has that whole piece to it. If you yeah. put any sort of technology, will people in the future know how to use it? Have you seen this video with this dad who puts a box over top of an old <laughs> rotary phone right. on the internet and it gives his kids three minutes. He gives them a phone number and he goes, they give you three minutes to dial this phone number. They couldn't figure it out. Really? It was fantastic. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So the, the things that go away over the short period of time in terms of technology is startling when you 
put it in the context that we're putting it in today. Well, even VCRs. Sure. When I, I still have a functioning VCR, and, and I'm always met with, really? I still have a VCR? I mean, it's in my closet. I don't have it hooked up, but it's there. It still works. You should hook that up. That'd be hilarious. Like, just go over to your house for a drink and Hand load your up a tape, and it whirs away, and then be kind, rewind at the end of the night. Yeah. I actually did recently. I had to, I was watching an old, I can't remember what I was watching, um, but it was kind of fun to listen to the tape rewind. Like, oh, yeah. got to stop it. Yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to catch on fire. You hear it's that really noise? So fast. Yes. Yeah, the think, whirring oh sound. I remember that you used to have that separate little device shaped like a car so you could, just rewinding the tape, you just stick it in there and it would just rewind it. Ooh, high oh, high end. Right. Do you remember that? They would no. put them on the desk at the Blockbuster or whatever. They'd check it and go, you didn't rewind it. It's an extra dollar so for we, them to rewind it for just you. Just to be clear, we have a lock of Cam's beard, nothing mm, from yeah. Ron. I put a picture of you in, Lauren. Thank you. A VCR? This is a terrible time capsule. <laughs> and Jeff Fortier's oh, phone. Oh, Jeff Fortier's phone. Great. <laughs> rookie card. How's that? Oh. That's a... That's not really a 2019 thing, though. Too bad. That's we what should, I'm putting let's in. Let's bury this, and we'll set an arbitrary date, like... 2048. 2062. As one of our listeners pointed out, it's Greg's B-Day, his birthday, <laughs> 50th birthday, and it's my V-Day, because I am going to get a vasectomy today. And some have asked, why are you sharing this? Well, I'm 41. A lot of guys listening to this radio station right now are probably thinking about doing it, but maybe are... A lot of guys are scared mm-hmm. to do this, right? And I, I admit I'm nervous. I'm not scared. Many of our listeners have said, hey, it's going to be no problem, especially if you're going to Dr. Billenkoff, who joins us live on 680 CJOB. Dr. Errol Billenkoff, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. So I happy first... birthday and happy V-Day. <laughs> <laughs> so many of our listeners, doctor, have said, oh, you're going to Billenkoff? No, you're going to be a piece of cake. But I am nervous. Should I be nervous? No, actually, nervous is the wrong uh, way to approach this because it's so easy. It's all a mind game. The guys that come in relaxed, breeze right through it. And the guys who are gritting their teeth and clenching their fists are, you know, going to be uncomfortable. So no sense psyching yourself out over nothing. What is the biggest, you know, fear factor for men when they walk in the door? Conversations I've heard, you know, at different tables over the years, they range wildly. But I wonder if it's the perception of just the idea that a piece of them is going to disappear, which is not the case. You know, honestly, I think the biggest fear is uh, they think that the needle uh, for the freezing is going to be uh, extremely painful, but we've pretty well eliminated the needle altogether, and now we use a spray. So ever since we switched over about five years ago, I've noticed a huge difference uh, in how guys come in knowing that they're not going to get a needle down there. And what about the uh, after effects? What, what are the biggest questions? What's the number one question you get, Dr. Billenkoff? The number one question about after? I think it's usually about work-related, you know. What what will I be able to do? What should I do? What shouldn't I do? Oh, I thought you were going somewhere uh, else. When will I be able to work with it again? (laughs) I'm trying to figure out a way to say this okay for morning radio. Yeah, no, that's what the wives ask. Um, (laughs) Well, that uh, that is one thing. But, um, you know, I think it's mostly about, uh, you know, a lot of them have young kids and they're wondering what activities they can do with them afterwards. And, um you know, I think 
what we do is show everybody a video that explains everything. So it really uh, puts them at ease and informs them well so they know what to expect. And I think they get through it very easily. Should I be running to the grocery store after this, after the procedure and get myself a bag of frozen peas? Bag of frozen peas. Absolutely. That's the best thing. And then you have your friends over for dinner on the weekend and you serve them peas. <laughs> Oh, please Good don't. Lord. Uh, I, I, I am curious about this. You know, we had conversations this morning about the different choices that are available out there for women when it comes to birth control. And I'm wondering what, what percentage of men now are choosing to put, take matters into their own hands and not leave it to their partner and say, you know, I'll, I'll be the one to get the vasectomy because your body has to do enough over the years. You know, it's always been the case in Canada, for sure, that uh, more men have had vasectomies than women have had tubal ligations. And I think that's just been rising and rising ever since this no scalpel, no needle technique came around. So that, uh, you know, I think there's more men than ever that are stepping up and realizing that it's no big deal. And the women have done their their job, and now it's time for them to do theirs. So uh, it's it's more popular than it's ever been. Do, you, do, you, do a lot of guys come in like me who have not had kids, who have made the decision to not have children? I'm 41 years old. I'm at a point in my life where I've realized kids are just not, I don't want them in my future, and uh, I'm, I figure I'm just going to pull the trigger and get this done. Absolutely. I do see uh, more than you might expect. And uh, I think that's been more the case as time has gone on. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'll see somebody who's still in their 20s and they're quite determined to have a vasectomy and I tell them to come back in 10 years. But somebody comes in at 41, you know, they know by then whether they've wanted children or not. And so lots of guys do that. Is it reversible? Is it, re- is it reversible, Dr. Novikov? Uh, yeah, it is reversible, um, but it's not covered by healthcare, so it's quite expensive. And uh, the success rate drops uh, depending on how long you wait after the vasectomy. So it drops roughly 10% per year. So if you wait five years, you're down to about 50%. And after 10 years, it's, it's not very likely at all. You mentioned the word success rate. So it is, what is the, like, I guess, what is the success rate for a vasectomy? 99.8%. It's uh, very successful. Uh, it's the most successful form of permanent birth control uh, with the lowest complication rate. So uh, that's why it's become so popular. Is there an age limit when you can no longer perform one? Uh, you mean an upper age? Like- yes. Yeah, like if, if you no. know, so at any age you could walk in, you know, because people are in different kinds of relationships with people of different ages. If you walked in at 50 or 60, it can still happen. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. We, we see men up into their 70s. You know, they're often with a younger partner and uh, maybe a second relationship. And yeah, we see men of all ages. I have two more questions, two quick ones. Uh, some of our listeners mm-hmm. have told us that you get that I get to watch like episodes of Home Improvement or something while I'm getting this done with you. Is that correct? You're well informed. Okay. Home Improvement. <laughs> Seinfeld or Mr. Bean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you, can, you can start thinking about it now. And then the second question is, when will I be able to golf again? Uh, uh, could you golf before? Not, <laughs> not very well. <laughs> not at all, actually. <laughs> I was like, doctor, when could I play the piano again? <laughs> but how long should I yeah. wait until I go out and mangle the golf course? I'd say a couple of weeks. 
you know, for any kind of sports, anything that you don't need to be doing. I mean, for people who have physical jobs, I tell them they can go back after a week. Uh, but for something sort of unnecessary like sports or something, you don't want to have a problem, um, you know, doing something recreational. So I'd say a couple of weeks is safe. All right. And the biggest, the biggest, the biggest tip is don't go by how you feel because most guys feel better than they expect. So they think, Hey, this is great. I'm going to go out and, you know, golf or play, uh, you know, a sports of some kind. And then they find out they did too much too soon. So I just say, take it easy and uh, get over it. And then uh, you'll be good to go. Dr. Errol Billenkoff, thank you for joining us this morning. We'll see you at 1050. Thank you. I'll be there. We're going to talk some football instead with our correspondent from San Diego on Greg's birthday, one Mr. Scott Mortland, joining us live on The Start. Mr. Mortland, how are you, sir? Good morning. How are you? Doing very well, doing very well. So Winnipeg Blue... birthday boy doing? Birthday boy's in uh, not quite as much uh, shock as he was... Uh, 365 days ago when you walked into the studio just after 8 o'clock. But it's great to hear your voice, man. Well, yours too. Well, you know, Mr. Ram has a job to do. So, so hey, man, uh, well, why don't we ask about hockey first? Uh, because I, San Diego, San Jose, how far away are those two cities from each other? Uh, you know, eight hours, eight hours, eight-hour drive, one-hour flight. However, I, um, I'm very happy the Blues won. As uh, Greg and I talked last year when, this whole thing went down with uh, Vegas. You know, at least you know, the person, the team you lost to was the one that ended up at least in the final. So it shows that they were on a mission and they did it. So um, wish it was the Jets, but um, I'm glad the Blues beat the Sharks. So you're coming Back at this as a, logic about the Sharks. You're coming at this as a Jets fan then? Oh, 100%. I just want to be clear because in case just our listeners need reminding, it was only a few years ago, I may have the timeline wrong, that you fell in love with the Blue Bombers, which is where your friendship with Greg was born. You were strangers a few years ago. Is that right? that's right. That is right. That is right. Love the Blue Bombers, too. No doubt. I'm I'm very excited about this season. Yeah? Well, yeah, I mean, they're they're in training camp. They're in training camp, and I um, I like what I'm seeing so far based on what I'm reading and seeing like little video clips. I like the free agent signings they made. Um, the uh, I think they drafted pretty good, and I just think the key is a healthy, healthy two quarterback. We have the best one-two quarterback combo in the league, so they stay healthy. I think we have lots to be excited about. When's your next visit to Winnipeg, by the way, Scott? Well, I've been talking about the July um, the July twelfth game, and I'm looking at uh, trying to get some people to come with me. You know, to that game. However, I thought it might be better that I come a little bit earlier. Surprise him again. Scott Moreland's actually here in studio with us right now on Greg's birthday. They are giving each other a hug, the pats on the back. <laughs> How many times is that now that you visited Winnipeg there, Scott? This is trip number seven. Well, come on and see, oh, get close to the again. microphone. Sit in my yeah. Seat. Oh, oh, you, you. and wow. he's even wearing a blue bomber hat, a blue bomber hoodie. Well, when I when when we coordinated this, and we're going to make it sort of you know the uh, the segue into this whole experience, the bombers. I had to wear my bombers gear. I was going to dress up actually. <laughs> Took seat at all. <laughs> well, we last week we were talking about this. Brett's like, we just have to figure out a way to surprise Greg. And I was like, we'll just bring Scott on. We'll talk about the Bombers. He's now like a number one fan or number one, number yes, one number fan. One. Knows yep. a lot about the team. Knows a lot oh, about I think Winnipeg. Some competition in that though. 
<laughs> in Greg or your son? Uh, no, some other Winnipeggers. I think they might find me over that title. Yeah, there's a lot of great fans, <laughs> yeah, but you've really, sure you've really uh, settled nicely into the spot. I think I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I can't believe you've done this. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day. I think you went to more Jets games this year than I did. Oh, I can't believe that. No, I think you did because well, you, if you count the out of town ones, there's a chance. But I still can't believe. No, I, I think you did. I think you. I got to close to ten games, and oh, I, I don't do think 10, I got to that many this year. But uh, oh my word! Yeah, I thought you were teaching. I, th- I thought well, you had. A- here's the deal. This is very. This is a true story. So I got the call from. Well, actually, I was on site. Actually, I got a pro. They were scrambling because, sadly, this one teacher's become quite ill, so she can't finish the year. So I was in a third grade classroom, and then when we're at recess, whatever, I get approached by the assistant principal and said, you know, we need you to finish out a second grade class. I go, uh, fine. I say, here's the deal. I've got an important trip next week. And I said, you know, it's up to you. And they said, so the next day they said, no problem. We'll work around it. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. For those that don't know, Scott's become a teacher in the last year and a half in San Diego. This is sort of your second career. My second career, you know, a career with purpose. You know, um, I love it. So my hope is to have my own classroom, you know, come next fall. But, um, you know, teaching jobs are hard to find. So I'm thinking this is a nice message that I've got a good shot. But if not, I'll substitute another year and then see what happens after that. When did you get in? Did you fly in this morning, or have I, you? Oh, uh, here. Oh, you want to hear about my flight experience? Mm, I, oh, um, because okay. I don't think getting here. So can I be was that to fly easy. United. Here we go, Greg. I was fly United easily through Denver. Get up here. I mean, I was. I had a six fifteen a.m. flight, so I was up at four. Of course, you guys have no sympathy for that. Uh, up at four, <laughs> hardy har har. Um, got to the airport. All of a sudden, and the guy on the shuttle bus from the uh, the parking garage goes, "Are you on the Denver too?" I go, "Yeah." He goes, "I just saw. I got this." The alert that the flight's canceled. I go, what? Snow in Denver. So anyway, flight's canceled because Denver had a freak snowstorm the night before. And it wasn't that they you weren't able to fly in there. It was the fact that the equipment was all put away. Mm. It's almost June. So they had to, they chose selectively some flights to cancel. Of course, with my luck, that was mine. So to get here for my buddy, San Diego, Vancouver, Calgary, Winnipeg. Oh, oh my, my you took a real puddle hopper. Just an L. Just an hour, <laughs> you know. That's called non-direct. <clears throat> non-direct is the word. <laughs> but you know what? It went fast, and um, you know, I, it was. I was standing in line, going, "Okay." And they've got me rerouted for the same trip today. Okay, it's still. I'd still be there on his birthday, and I'd be I'd getting. Oh, sorry, Greg. Get in it too, and you know, I'd I'd figure something out to maybe still surprise him, maybe talk to his wife to work that out. But it all worked out in the end. Well, Scott Moreland, thank you for coming in to play along here. We appreciate this. Uh, of course, Greg, I, I safe to say you're happy, Greg. Mm. <laughs> happy birthday. I'm happy again. because I was worried this morning that, it, you know, like it's a, it's a big day. And the milestone, you should be celebrating this and not, it's you know. A, it's a big you, day. It is a big day. You're a young I've 50. 50 is there. the new 35 as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Uh, I'm loving 50 so far. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> I think Brett bought you More a bottle. You got a surprise Visit. What's yep. next? Also, just for some background, yesterday uh, yesterday morning, I kind of snapped at Greg because he came in to, and we he booked a guest for our next segment. Uh, I'd already put something in there, and I said, the one spot on the schedule I had something, and you had to put something there because I had blocked off 845 for this. So that's why, Greg, that's you? why I snapped what at you. you. Oh, that is so <laughs> hey, funny. The morning's fair. He knows that I get up. If I look in and there's things in that calendar that I didn't know about, so I got... I 
I'm homesick yesterday. I don't know what I bumped. Seven, I don't know what I bumped. What did I bump? Pretty good stuff. No, what did I bump? What was it? The <laughs> mayor. Was it Dr. Snips, was it? No, not Dr. Snips. <laughs> <laughs> so, Scott Orland, thank you very much for coming in to see us. Oh, I'm so glad I did it again. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb on this 50th birthday for one Greg Mackling. We just had Scott Moreland in studio. Scott Moreland, the new number one fan of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in recent years after the San Diego Chargers fled that city. Scott went looking for a new team, found the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. He's now been here like, what, seven times? Yeah, this will be seven, if not eight times. He surprised me on his birthday last year. I know last year he was hoping to see a hockey game. He knew there would be no chance of seeing a hockey game this time around. And I just want to say this. If you have loyal friends in your life, and I don't care if you have one or 20, you are blessed. And, you know, Winnipeg was blessed when Scott Mortland adopted our city sort of as his second home. He is as loyal as they come. And then and, he adopted you as a friend. Yeah. Or you adopted him. Yeah, I don't know what I did to deserve that. But uh, let me tell you, I, I feel uh, very, very lucky today. Well, good. Well, happy birthday to you, pal. And uh, hopefully that softens the blow a little bit. We were talking about milestone <laughs> birthdays a couple of weeks ago uh, because my girlfriend turned 30 and she was sad. Aw, 30, poor thing. But you're 50, and that um, can be a tough one for many. Well, I'm going to be a lot more comfortable than you in about uh, three hours' time, I suspect. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm comfortable with where I am on my B-Day. Your V-Day is here. That's right, 10.50. Dr. Snips. A new poll out this morning shows Canadians are increasingly critical of Canada's immigration policies. Yeah, we've been talking about this all morning. You just heard it in the news with Jeff Braun. But this poll done by Ipsos found 37% of Canadians believe immigration is, quote, a threat to white Canadians. Just what that threat is depends on our perceived values. Here's Sean Simpson of Ipsos Public Affairs. It could be uh, the threat of, of immigrants taking Canadian jobs. Or it could be the belief that uh, immigrants will be a, a drain on the, the, the health or, or the welfare system uh, here in Canada. Um, whatever the, the threat is, as, as, as Canadians perceive it, uh, it doesn't change the fact that 37% believe something is under threat. That conversation around jobs is one that has come up and will likely continue to keep coming up in this country. But Conference Board of Canada recently did a study that concluded just how immigration is filling the gaps in our workforce. And Pedro Pedro Antunes is the chief economist of the Conference Board of Canada and joins us this now. Good morning, Pedro. Good morning. So let's talk about this, uh, you know, that the idea that immigration is actually key to growing Canada. Is, is that what you've concluded over the years? Well, um, yeah, essentially we, uh, we are just essentially looking at the demographics and it's, uh, it's not really difficult to do. Uh, you know, if, if economic forecasting is hard, but uh, demographics is, is a, little, a little easier. Uh, and we know essentially that uh, all of the baby boom cohort, which is a- a- effectively just starting to retire, you know, uh, the tail end boomers are still in their 54, 55 age cohort in that range and they're um and that's the most populous part of the baby boom cohort so what we know is that this uh, cohort has already started to lift retirement rates in canada and that is going to continue over the next 10 years at least uh and it's going to essentially put a lot of pressure on uh, on uh, labor force growth 
I don't know how in-depth you get in terms of the different professions that are affected here, Pedro, but uh, earlier when we had this discussion, I suggested that we just simply look at the number of doctors in Canada. Uh, there's a severe doctor shortage. Uh, I got a little bit of pushback by suggesting that it, all you need to do is look at that uh, sector alone, that without immigration, we would be facing an even larger doctor shortage. And uh, one of our listeners said, well, if we train more doctors here at home, we wouldn't have that issue. But I I don't think we could fill the void uh, based on uh, the number of spots and the amount of investment required uh, for medical schools. Have you got a take on that at all? Well, in fact, uh, that is a um, uh, you know an ongoing concern I think for Canada, and it touches on this, the, the the important issue of the aging demography. So, uh, you know, we're not looking at immigration for growth just for the sake of growth. We're looking at immigration for growth because we know that we have this kind of dependency challenge where. Uh, as does the, the same cohort, the baby boom cohort that is aging out of the workforce, so they're no, no longer contributing to GDP or income, let's say. Uh, and by the way, income, as everyone knows, it's it's part and parcel of government revenues. So there's going to be uh, essentially a pullback on our ability to grow government revenues. And at the same time, there's an increasing cost associated with healthcare for this group. So you're you're touching on a, one of those critical uh, occupations or areas, which is uh, healthcare, which is going to need uh, more workers. Uh, but I would also say that across the board, when you look at occupations and you look at this, uh, essentially the retirement of the baby boom cord, you see pressures everywhere. Um, so, you know, immigration is a solution. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of times people are uh, concerned about uh, different aspects of it. You know, when we talk about immigration, economic migrants to Canadians, they tend, they tend to acknowledge that this is positive for the economy. I think sometimes the concerns are around refugee and family uh, reunification uh, streets. When we talk about immigration, say, for example, we went with, you know, the extreme suggestions that we shut our, shut our doors or shut our borders for a while. What happens to our economy if we say no to immigration? Well, in fact, this is a counterfactual scenario that we looked at in our study. Uh, what if we were to shut uh, immigration down? Um, and what it tells us is essentially we'd, we'd have a decline in the number of workers in Canada. Uh, we're at a point already where, uh, you know, we're seeing um, a net uh, without immigration, uh, we're seeing essentially more retirees than people coming into the workforce. Um, and so th- essentially, if you look at workforce growth or employment growth over the last decade or so, it's averaged about 1.5% a year. Imagine now that going to essentially zero or negative uh, as we go forward. So it's, it's, it's not something that we can envision. Certainly, we wouldn't be able to shut off immigration. But this kind of scenario allows us to, to get a sense of what is the contribution of immigration to the economy. And, uh, you know, what might we do uh, what, even if we were to, for example, have um, improved participation rates uh, among underrepresented cohorts, you know, women, Indigenous people, um, people with disabilities. What, what our findings are telling us is that it's not enough to that would just barely essentially uh, keep. Uh, labor force growth steady, uh, we really do need immigration to, to generate some growth. So it's good for Canada as well, not just for in terms of what happens within our borders, but as well, from what I understand, it helps uh, strengthen Canada's ties to other countries through trade. Oh, well, there, there is evidence. Um, uh, there is lots of evidence that immigration can help uh, can help uh, open opportunities for for trade, especially with, uh, you know, a country where, where the immigrants essentially where immigrants are coming from tend to tend to be fast growth areas in the, in the world. 
Uh, and this is where we need to do better in terms of diversifying our trade. So there's definitely some, uh, uh, some studies that have shown these kinds of links. Could we be doing more, Pedro? Well, I think the most important piece uh, around immigration, well, first of all, you touch on a very important issue, which is, uh, you know, Canadians' perception. And with all of the populist kind of movements we've seen across the world, we need to make sure that people understand uh, the benefits of immigration. Uh, we need to be conscious of, you know, the kind of uh, uh, attitudes out there towards immigration and make sure we address those. So that's really important. And I think the other piece that's really important is that, uh, we need to ensure that uh, immigrants, <clears throat> especially the economic uh, migrants, can fully participate in the workforce. Uh, so credential recognition, uh, making sure settlement services in English language uh, and French language services are, are uh, doing their jobs so that we can uh, get better outcomes, essentially, which is positive for the immigrants coming in, but also uh, obviously for Canada as a whole. Pedro Antonez, Chief Econom- Economist of the Conference Board of Canada, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Pedro, thank you very much for this. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Greg, you like to barbecue? Love barbecuing. Love my Weber barbecue. I got to give a shout out to the folks at Lux Barbecue. Best barbecue ever. Yeah. Hello. Propane? Propane, yeah. Okay. So what do you put on the barbecue? I like to put steak. Hot dogs? Hot dogs, hamburgers, chicken. <laughs> McNabb loves the hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Salmon, pizza. I like a to do high pizza. High-end hot dog? High-end hot dog. I've got a pizza stone. I like to do pizza on the mm-hmm. barbecue every once in a while. You know, it is the season. And uh, the way we are viewing barbecue is changing big time. It's it's becoming a huge part of our culture again or maybe just being elevated uh in this day and age. Well, the super awesome science show, one of the many awesome podcasts you can get through Chorus's network, Curious Cast, is focusing this week on the world of barbecue. And the host of the super awesome science show is Jason Tetro, who joins us live on 680 CJOB. Mr. Tetro, good morning to you, sir. Well, good morning. So, barbecue. How do we? Con- I've never thought to talk about barbecue and science in the same conversation. So, what made you focus on barbecue? Well, for one, I absolutely love barbecue, um, and the the f- interesting thing about it is that when you look at it from the science, there are two things that sort of come at you, uh, and and they're kind of opposite. One is this whole idea of being exposed to smoke and carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide and all these things that, you know, potentially could harm the environment from the World Health Organization all the way down. I didn't want to talk about that. (laughs) I wanted to talk about the other thing, which is the incredible flavor that you can get when you use barbecue to be able to take the chemistries of different types of components like wood and put that into your food to make it taste so much better than if you just grill it over, say, you know, charcoal or, uh, and, and I apologize, uh, propane gas. Well, I'm glad you mentioned this because I had said to Greg this morning, what's he going to come on and tell us? Like, uh, is he going to tell me I shouldn't be barbecuing anymore? Because I quite frankly don't want to hear that after a long <laughs> cold winter because it really becomes a go-to choice for so many Canadians. But I also think you raise an interesting point about the idea that, you know, the way we barbecue now versus 25, 30 years ago, more and more people have a smoker or they have the wood that you mentioned to do their fish or Greg talked about the stone. And so there is a science behind it when it comes to how they, they help enhance a meal. What What is it, first of all, say, even with just the wood plank that I might use with a salmon? Yeah. So what you want to do with uh, wood 
is you want to make sure that it's nice and wet, okay? Because if you just have it dry, it's going to burn and it's not going to do a heck of a lot. When you have it wet, what you're doing is you're allowing the heat to get into that wood and then it's going to take out the um, organic components that can help to increase the flavor. And it's really interesting because many of those organic components, when you look at them uh, sort of you know, under a microscope or what we call a GCMS, happen to be the same as fermentation. It's the coolest thing because smoking really is the same as kind of like a fermentation that you do. So many of the flavors that you're going to get are going to be very similar to what you might have in you know, sour creams and yogurts and, and some beers and maybe even some wines because they're the same chemical components. It's just that you're achieving that differently by making the heat force it out into this um, smoke, and then that goes into the meat or whatever it is that you're cooking, and it gives it that flavor. So, Jason, there's a delicate balance between uh, cooking and being safe in the summertime on the barbecue, and I know you uh, went down that road in your podcast as well. Yeah, as much as I want to have fun and talk about the anthropology, we really do have to look at how we can stay safe when we're talking about uh, cooking our food. Because quite honestly, nobody wants to go out, have a barbecue, and then be sick. So we end up talking with someone <clears throat> excuse me, who's a barbecue expert, but also happens to be the meat science person at Texas A&M University, Jeff Saville. And so we actually get into how you can enjoy your barbecuing, but also make sure that you stay safe. And here's one thing that uh, we didn't really get into in the show, but as a microbiologist, I can tell you, one of the really cool things about smoke <clears throat> is that it is very, very low in pH. And when that happens microbes do not like to survive. So the reality is, is that when you're smoking, you're actually getting rid of the microbes in your meat. Of course, anybody who might be listening to this who happens to have an indigenous background already knows this because we have that dry smoking with jerky, pemmican, and that type of thing. So the health impact there is that it it eliminates that risk on those types of meats. Exactly. Then you take it off, and then you have to be absolutely sure that you're not creating any kind of cross-contamination afterwards. Because as soon as you take it off the barbecue, then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to keep it away from all the other potential microbes. Because as soon as it comes down in temperature, the minute that you touch it with something else, if that's contaminated, then your meat becomes a Petri dish again. No question. And I know a lot of people who make the mistake of bringing their steaks out on a plate cooking them, and then they put the steak back <laughs> on the same plate. And that's just one example, Jason, of things that we do that we don't realize don't make sense. Absolutely. And I think when it comes to something like a steak, it's not so bad. When we start talking about ground beef, when we start talking about chicken, you know, you do not want to have the raw mixing with your cooked. It's just not a very good idea. So always be sure that you know, when you take your stuff out to the barbecue, whether you're at home or whether you're somewhere else, that those particular utensils go into, you know, a bag, separate, whatever it may be, and then you have a whole new set when you're actually making sure that you're getting all the right foods. And when you're doing the checking in the meantime, you know, sometimes you may check something, it may not be particularly cooked, and at that point you want to put that off to the side as well. 
Jason Tetro. He's known sometimes as the germ guy. He's also the yeah. host of the Super Awesome Science Show. And this week, he's focusing on the world of barbecue. Get the podcast now. You can find it on globalnews.ca. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Curious Cast, wherever you find podcasts. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate this, sir. We want to tell you about a Manitoba mom right now, Greg. And Kevin Bergen from The Main Ingredient brought this to our attention. Uh, Manitoba mom who is in need of help and some local chefs are rising up to lend a hand. Well, you know, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Kevin. Uh, Kevin and I have been friends for nearly 35 years now. And uh, Kevin has taken The Main Ingredient and it's not just talking about food. He's really become a community activist and used the connections he's developed and created through doing uh, his show, The Main Ingredient. And this is just another example. Jolene Newfelt, she's a mother from Manitoba. She's in Toronto waiting for a double lung and liver transplant. And our two guests are having a dinner for her here in Winnipeg on May 26th to help raise money to pay her living costs while she is waiting. So we'll inv- in, uh, introduce those folks to you right now as we welcome into the studio from, and I'm on their fantastic website right now, loafandhoney.com. And uh, we've got uh, Rachel Isaac and Dustin Pelchier. And uh, you guys, uh, do you guys know Jolene? We, she, she's on Instagram as Food Nerd Extreme and she follows us and, and we started following her and she just makes all these amazing food and we didn't really know anything about her. Um, and then we saw a post that she was sick. Um, so then we kind of reached out to her. We got to read some more, got some more information about when we met and went and met her and, uh, she she was in a tight spot. She'd been home for, for two years or three years without work um, because of the disease that was happening with her liver uh, or her kidney and then everything else. So she was just, she was a, an instructor or a chef at MITT. She was teaching or helping some of the culinary kids there. So without being worked, that was kind of her happy place at home to kind of cook. So that's, she was making all this amazing sourdough breads and all of this. And uh, we just, we, we saw her and we knew that she needed pro- help. So I, I talked to Rachel and we kind of bounced the idea around and we're like, okay, she had a GoFundMe page and we're like, well, we could give her $50, you know, or we could maybe try to get the community together. Um, the culinary community is pretty tight. So we figured we could maybe kind of, because of all the food she was making, we could really wow her. And, and kind of get a bunch of people in to kind of see some guys some really good food from we the culinary community came together we've got tons of local chefs um we're part of a group called hatchery so there's six of us they all jumped in um steve strecker from atomic dinner rolls really took the lead he was an instructor at, at mitt so mitt jumped on and they donated their space and everything else so Everything that we've got is 95% donated. So wow. all the funds are going straight to her. So we're really kind of, we're, we're really amazed by how it all came together. I'm looking now at a picture of it. I'm assuming it's her and her partner and their little girl. And, yeah. and Jolene's yeah. wearing a, you know, a breathing mechanism to help her with her condition. She's had hypertension and then issues with her liver and then her lungs. Yes. When we talk about, Rachel, the needs that they would have when they are in Toronto, they've had to basically relocate while she waits for this yes, transplant. Yes, she actually just got the transplant over the weekend. Amazing. Um, so that's good news. She is currently sedated and waiting more surgeries. 
Um, but they still are there for at least six months while she goes through recovery and gets better. So hotels and meals so hotels and, and no, meals. not able to work. Yeah, exactly. And her husband can't work either. He has to be her permanent caregiver. So they have no source of income in the family at all while they wait and while she recovers. And they also still have to pay their mortgage here as well oh, as all the right. bills there. But you say she's had the transplant for both the lungs and the liver? She got her lungs and livers over the weekend. Yeah. yeah. So her, we just got an email from her mom saying she's she hasn't been able to talk. She's got a tube in her throat and she's been sedated for the last three days. And, and there was complications, but they were kind of expected. It was like there was a 12-hour operation. Um, so they were able to do that. Then they have to go back in and adjust things and check. So, I mean, it was a massive operation. They have two different teams working on her at once. So, I mean, just another example, the, the healthcare system in Canada is, is so incredible, but there are limitations to what it covers and the things that you think you, you might be covered for just aren't. Yeah. I mean, like there's, there's special meds that she is covered and there's special and there's stuff that there's not. And I mean, we can't, she's got to live and they, their closest apartment that they could find close to the hospital is like $3,000 a month in Toronto. <laughs> so they've got to pay for that. And then and the medications, her medications are over $200 a month above what Blue Cross will cover. So there's a lot of expenses that they have to incur. So you're yeah. trying to ease some financial stress, obviously, but I think a little of the emotional stress too. It might to, to, for them to know what you guys are doing back here at home to help them out must feel pretty good for them. Yeah, she's pretty excited about it. Every time we talk to her about it, she gets a little bit choked up because it's exactly what she would want if somebody was to do an event for her. And she's she's really humble. She she had a really hard time asking for help, um, even for the GoFundMe page. She's so that's why we kind of this is something she would have never asked for so we were like okay let's do this um she's amazed she's a very kind of introverted person and so she doesn't she's not out in the community a lot and everything else and especially in the last three years because she's kind of been homebound so that all of these people that don't know her and then all of these people that knew her from like 10 years ago and five years ago are just coming out of everywhere to help and it's i mean it's a manitoba thing it's canadian thing we someone's in need and we're all kind of bounding together to help. So we've just spoken in broad strokes about what it is that you're doing in the spirit and what you're doing. It. Can you give us some specifics now? Tell us uh, about the event, event, where it will be, and how people can get tickets. Um, yes, so they can get tickets at eventbrite.ca slash breathe easy, an evening in support of Jolie Neufeld tickets, 613-608-76032. Um, the event is being held at the Manitoba Institute of Trades and Technology, which is 130 Henlow Bay. And it's from 5 o'clock to 9 o'clock. It's a five-course meal um, mm. with all-drink pairings with it. And then there's also a cocktail hour, and there's past appetizers during that as well as cocktails. What are you serving, or do we know? Uh, we've got uh, appetizers. We've got kind of cabbage roll on a stick. We've got Water Song uh, and Adiago Farms kind of both donated. Um, we've got doubles from Ave from a tom- uh, Purple Hibiscus. We've got uh, a chicken salad with a chicken terrine and chive and fennel from... Uh, EJ and Kelly. Yeah. EJ and Kelly. How do you from, hold the cabbage roll in a stick? Story. I was stuck on that. I like <laughs> cabbage rolls, but I'm like they're kind they're, of sloppy. Yeah, so what's your strategy, or do I have to? We're come not and find sure out? on that one. Alex and Serge are doing that one. Cool. So Alex is from Little Goat, and Serge is from P- 
Pisa Denardi. Yeah, and and Kelly is from uh, Bluestone Cottage. Cottage. Eve is from Manila Nights. Uh, then we've got Pork Belly as as a second appetizer from Stephen at Atomic Dinner Rolls. We've got Sabe uh, Misanos from. Uh, Chef Ed Lamb. Then we've got Rachel doing her dessert. Um, so Jolene's one request was that there was fruit crisp. Um, oh, so I'm fun. doing a take on fruit crisp. It's going to be a little bit different. There'll be some ice creams and sorbets paired with it. Too. Why would, Why did she want that? She just loves fruit crisp. <laughs> she ever eats dessert. Like, that's what she wants. Just yeah. good. Just yeah. tastes good. Yeah. And we've got uh, tra- Trans Canada Brewing. Devil May Care is coming on. So we've got beer. We've got wine reps. That, like everybody's donating. All we've got farmers that that kind of came up and talked to us and like whatever you need, just give us a list and and everything else. So it's and we been- also have some social prizes that we'll be auctioning, doing silent auctions for too. We have uh, Lux Barbecue donated one of those big green egg smoking barbecues. Um, we've had some wine reps come forward and put together wine baskets for us. We have some signed cards and gloves from a hockey player, yeah. as well as some um, festival tickets. And a year's worth of uh, Danny's Whole Hog barbecue sauce as well. I see. Those yeah. green, those big yeah. green eggs are a pretty penny, too. That's oh, an $1,800 yeah. $1, barbecue. It is a yeah. big barbecue. Super popular. Yeah. And now Kevin had pulled out for it, so we're ever thankful for Kevin. <laughs> yeah, well, Evan and uh, Phil always step up yeah, over at Lux they were, Barbecue. They uh, they're fantastic. And so many incredible folks. I was a restaurant guy for a long time, and I know how tight-knit the community is, whether it's front of house or back of the house, if they're fighting or not. Uh, in times like this, uh, restaurant folk and, and culinary world come together, and this is incredible stuff that you're doing. We'll have to have you back just to talk yeah. about what it is that you guys do, because you do some incredible things, including you're one of the, you're the only... We are the only raw milk cheesemakers in Manitoba. We uh, we studied under Brother Albrecht. He was a, a Trappist monk here in Manitoba, or is. Um, he'd been making this cheese for, for 65 years. It's the oldest cheese in Manitoba. It's been made since 1918. Um, the recipe dates back to the 1700s. So we we t- studied under him for a year, and now we we've taken that on. We've built a small little cheese plant, and we make raw milk cheese. The event is called Breathe Easy, an evening in support of Jolene Newfelt. It's happening this Sunday, May 26th, from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. at 1.30 Henlow Bay, which is just off, it's right near Keniston and Skirfield, the Manitoba Institute of Trades and Technology. There's an event bright page if you want to look that up, or you can just email any of us, brett at cjob.com, mackling at cjob.com, or mcnab at cjob.com, and we can get you the link. And once again, Dustin Pelchier and Rachel Isaac from Loaf and Honey joining us live on CJOB, the website for them, loafandhoney.com. Dustin and Rachel, thank you for this and thanks for what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. 
I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.